0: Welcome to House Party, a podcast where home and pop culture collide, coming straight to you from the editors of Realtor.com. I'm Natalie Way. And I'm Rachel Stoltz. So, the Ty Pennington of it all. I mean, this video that just had everyone up in arms. It happened like a few weeks ago, but I did you see him on the Nick Cannon show yesterday?
1: Yes, I did. And I'm my first thought was surprised that this the the tie thing the tie saga is still happening that people are still up in arms about him showing off his arms people are like taking chest. to the street
0: with pitch pitchforks and being like <laughs> leave our tie alone
1: like he like he seems to be enjoying it though I mean he's on the Nick Cannon show and you know he's he's owning it and every time they play that video everybody gets a good laugh Can and you describe I- the video really quick <laughs> For people who haven't seen it. <laughs> well Ty has become very active on Instagram. And he posts a lot of goofy videos. Uh, there's one that I really like. That is not the one in question. But he's rolling around in the surf. In the sand. <laughs> uh, to Chris Isaac's wicked game and then um random man comes along on the beach and is just like are you okay (laughs) and that one makes me laugh um i think it really shows his goofy side this one also is his goofy side he is thrusting his hips in a very sexual dance to the song uh green onions yep i don't know maybe you can play a little trick clip there (laughs) (laughs) Looking very
0: tan, and very he's wearing a bathing suit—just yes. a bathing suit.
1: He's in trunks, uh, very tan on the beach. I would say rocking a, a buff dad bod, very in shape. Ty, like yeah.
0: Zero critiques could anyone make about your body? That well, are... One
1: would one would, think. One would I, think. I think he's got a bangin' body. Yeah, but apparently some people were criticizing him, you know, because he's in his fifties and he's out there having fun. How dare he (laughs) dancing on the beach? And he,
0: yeah. So then, so he receives all of these like troll messages on Instagram. So he takes to a new post and just says, look like all these people are coming into my DMS and coming into my comments saying, you so old or like oh my god he got fat and ugly or you know just just making really unnecessary personal remarks about him mm-hmm. um and he's like i was on the beach just trying to make my wife laugh like we were just hanging out she captured this funny video of me dancing and i wanted to post it to brighten everyone's day And that's all. That's all it is. And he had a lot of like really earnest hashtags, like love yourself, (laughs) and like. And so it it caused a bit of hubbub. People people came to have his back, and we're just like, yes, Ty, like you do you, like f the haters. Um, and now
1: it's become the whole thing. Been asked on to daytime TV talk shows to discuss it, (laughs) and like people. Something tells me he's not terribly upset about all the. Yeah, it's not
0: quite a scandal. Like he's he's being the ball of sunshine and radiance that he has always been, like forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me happy to see to see him being himself.
1: But don't you feel like the past year we've really seen a Ty Pennington Renaissance? Because it was a year ago that we had him on this podcast. We interviewed him, and at that time. He was getting some new projects going, and the topic of our conversation with him was kind of like, where you been? <laughs> you, you've been off our screens for a while. You're finally coming back. This is really exciting. And I just, I don't know that I would have thought a year ago that we'd be here and Ty Pennington would be all over my, my TV and my Instagram and in other capacities than just like the TV shows he's hosting. It's been a complete penance over the
0: past like year and, <laughs> and a half. How long
1: have you been working on that one? <laughs> it's
0: been it's been a real coup for him. I mean, <laughs> like we say this, you know, with with zero disrespect, like he just wasn't hosting doing as much hosting as he is now, like over, you know, maybe 5 years ago. But now with, you know, Battle on the Beach that he hosted um and rock the block the second season and now this third season that's come back people are so amped about it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah it's like ty is the
1: guy he has he's a lot of fun to watch he's a lot of fun to talk with and i look forward to seeing him on our screens more and keep the keep the cheesy videos coming they make me laugh me too speaking of ty
0: and rock the block we have an interview with two uh, contestants who were on it two competitors two fierce design ladies Leslie Davis and Lindsey Lamb of Unsellable Houses they're here to talk to us about the experience of being on the on an HGTV show how challenging it actually was to build a house from scratch essentially i mean not from scratch to design a house from scratch with Mm -hmm. bare bones and then they go in and do their thing um if you haven't caught our recap of episode one yet go back and listen to that uh so you can hear what Lindsay and leslie did for the first episode which was all about kitchens and then enjoy our interview that we have with them right now We're so excited to be chatting today with Lindsey Lamb and Leslie Davis from their HGTV show Unsellable Houses, as well as season three of Rock the Block, which is airing right now. Hi, ladies! Thank you for joining us.
2: Hi. Hi. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having us.
0: Where are you coming from?
2: Are you because you
0: y'all are based in the Pacific Northwest?
2: Correct. We are currently, right this moment, sitting in a uh, in one of our cars in the front yard of one of our remodel projects for season three of Unsellables. It never ends. It never (laughs) ends. (laughs) The grind
0: (laughs) never ends. Yes. That is this, This feels so authentic. It feels so authentic. Um, Yes. Rock the block for anyone, any of our listeners who haven't seen the show yet, you should watch it right now. It's airing on Mondays at 9. PM. Um, It's a home renovation competition. It pits four teams of HGTV stars against one another. And the ultimate goal is to add the most value to a single family home. Um, So the houses are all identical and each team gets $225,000 to transform the inside and the outside of their house. Uh, The winner gets, and tell me if this is right, just bragging rights and a street sign, which is pretty cool, but there's no like money component
2: involved, right? No, there's, um, there's a hundred thousand dollars given to, um, uh, feed children of America, which is really awesome. Uh, but there's no money given to the competitors. Uh, it is, it's just bragging, bragging rights. And, um, those are pretty sought after as the weeks go on, uh, because it is a lot of work to do, uh, these homes.
0: Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Rachel can tell you, like in our most previous recap, Rachel was like, I can't believe like they did the dining room or, or the, the dining area and the kitchen. Like I had anxiety <laughs>
1: just straight <laughs> up. I was like, how are they doing this in seven days? It was just it seems very overwhelming. Well, you guys handled it really well. I'm curious because you're from the Pacific Northwest and you were working in the Charleston area. What were your first thoughts when you rolled up on this bare bones coastal home? Like, did you think this was going to be a struggle or I mean, just what, what were you thinking?
2: This is Lindsay. Um, yeah, for sure. When we first rolled up, I think Leslie and I uh, were a little shocked at how big the house was, um, mm-hmm. knowing that we only had really six weeks to f- complete an entire remodel. And I think, um, you know, one of the things you don't get to see in the show is, you know, we're working with we're, we're gener we're basically GCing the project while designing the project while doing a ton of like little challenges throughout the week. And so we knew what we were going into, but we hadn't really seen it in person yet. So to drive up and see the size of the home and knowing the timeline we had, we kind of took a moment, looked at each other and we were like, uh, wait a second. Um, <laughs> What, what in the world did we just get ourselves into? Um, so yeah, we were pretty pretty cotton cotton off guard, but um, we love a good challenge, and um, we just decide, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna tackle this just like we tackle everything else with a hard work and a little bit of humor, and um, see how far we can get.
1: Did the fact that it's a blank slate make any difference? I know you normally work with well. Unsellable houses that already you know have their their issues that you need to kind of overcome or change or transform. So, was working with a blank slate refreshing?
2: You know, uh, this is Leslie. It for me, I think it was. I mean, in Lindsay's world, I'm sure it was ideal because she got to do anything she wanted uh, for the first time ever. But um, <laughs> from my perspective, it was a little. It was significantly more challenging because um there were a lot of things that we had to do or take into consideration that we don't usually have to. Like um, you know, where we wanted to place bathrooms and, you know, uh what type of, you know, uh hardware and material we wanted to do in every single room. Uh whereas like in most of the homes that we do here, when we help clients remodel or when we look at homes that aren't selling, we usually tackle, you know, maybe a few main areas that we know are the problem areas, but we don't have to touch every single surface. In this house, because it was new construction, the entire home had to be designed from the roof to the to the landscaping so there were so many decisions and it was such a huge home that this was by far the biggest project we'd ever taken on and you know you have people like Jenny and Dave Mars who build homes from the ground up so I think they definitely had an upper hand to us and the fact that you know, they look at projects like this all day. They're used to reading blueprints. They're used to reading plumbing, you know, um, you know, plans and electrical plans. And and we're just not. We're used to walking into homes and saying, "Okay, Mm -hmm. we can see where the challenges are. Let's address those challenges. Let's address them on a budget. And we didn't have basic challenges we didn't have budgets we didn't have the things that we're used to using so we definitely had to pivot and think completely different than our you know natural instincts would have told us to totally
0: that makes a lot of sense um so with that huge challenge ahead of you where did you start like what was your main inspiration going into it designing that first room
2: yeah we did a This is Lindsay again. We did a ton of research before we got there because it was really the only thing that we could do is, you know, try to read up on the market. Um, We called several real estate agents. Um, We, you know, tried to track home sales in the area. We did not know uh, the neighborhood or the specific um, like area we would be in. They would not allow us to know that ahead of time. But they did tell us, you know, where we were going, but we didn't know, say like in our area here, you would know you were going to Washington and maybe the Seattle, greater Seattle area, but they wouldn't tell you it was in Snohomish. For example, mm-hmm. so we knew we were going to the greater Charleston area, but we didn't know it was going to be in the low country, so we did as much research as we could ahead of time, and that's really I feel like all we could have done so we what we um, you know tried to focus on were what's really super important to buyers over there. We asked a lot of questions of agents, what do they see as being uh, you know pushing the envelope, what do they see as as playing it kind of safe. What do they think, um, you know, buyers see as being a major added value? What do they see as buyers just expecting in homes? Um, You know, what are some of their basic, um, like, colors for the area? You know, they're different than what we see here. We, in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like we design a lot more with moodier colors. uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. in Charleston, I mean, rainbow road is from charleston right so i mean Mm -hmm. you've Mm -hmm. got every color you can imagine and they're all accepted um and to be blended together that was a, a different you know um challenge for us. So we just did a lot of research going into it. And then we decided, you know, to back up and really, really focus on hospitality. Um, Knowing that Mm -hmm. in the South, hospitality was so important. When we pulled up to our Airbnb, and I always go back to this, when we pulled up to our Airbnb, it was less than five minutes and the neighbor had knocked on our door to introduce herself. And she was the sweetest lady who had lived in the house next door for like 15 years. And she just wanted to introduce herself and welcome us to the area. And within, you know, a day or two, she had brought us cookies. And then, you know, we were there for six weeks. I can't tell you how many meals this Late, her name was Judy. How many meals Judy fed us because she just constantly was bringing us food, and we were getting home at you know nine, ten o'clock at night, and she was always there with a meal or something. So, she was, she in particular, was a huge inspiration as well. So, it was just that southern hospitality we were constantly trying to focus on.
0: That is, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially like. That communicated through your design um, in the kitchen when you had the sweet tea station, um, mm-hmm. and then experimenting with color a little bit with the color
1: that you chose for your cabinets. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple questions. I don't. Yeah, know if go you can ahead. Answer Rach. and apologies, Natalie, if I'm jumping the gun here. No. Go uh, without spoiling anything, can you guys tell us what was your favorite room to work on, and which one was the most challenging for you?
2: Um for me, this is Lindsay. This is Lindsay. I loved gosh, I'm gonna give you two because I can't pick. That's not fair because then I won't have one. I know, I'm sorry. I'm bad. Um I loved our entry. (laughs) Um I I think our entryway. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Our entryway was amazing, and then I loved our main um, you know, suite, just the whole main suite. Those were my favorites. Most challenging, I did think the mm. kitchen was challenging because it was our first room, mm. and we yeah. didn't really know yet what we were going into, so that was really kind of challenging in from my perspective yeah, and then um what they refer to as the frog, which is the uh finished room yeah. over garage, that also was a little challenging, yeah, because i I felt like i mean without spoiling anything, we were starting to kind of. You know, budgets were definitely catching up with us by that point. Yeah, and exhaustion. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I would say for me, Leslie, uh, the frog was definitely that week was really challenging for us uh, because budgets, our energy, um, creativity. I mean, that was a tough week. My favorite space to do was the uh, was the backyard outside. Yeah. Um, we got to bring a lot of just our personality and what we love about where we live uh, to that area and so that was uh, that was a great that was a great space That's in my true. opinion. Yeah, I did love that space mm-hmm.
1: I kind of want to know about the competition and I know that you mentioned that Jenny and Dave you saw as pretty good competition because they're used to building houses from the ground up. but what did you mm-hmm. know about your competitors going in? What were you worried about and you know how did it end up?
2: Um, that's a great question. We didn't know a ton about our competitors going in. We were told days beforehand who they even were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you, leaving there, um especially Jenny and Dave and Evan and Keith became some of our best friends. Uh, we mm-hmm. did a little, mm-hmm. a little um spin-off with Evan and Keith, on season three Unsellables uh, just days ago uh, because we wanted to incorporate them into the into our Unsellables show because we just love them so much. And mm-hmm. um, Jenny and Dave are absolutely America's sweethearts, exactly what you see on TV. Egypt Aww. and Mike are incredibly talented. So it was really fun. It, there's so much pressure In the moment of the competition, um, it is absolutely a competition. And if at any point you're not stressed enough, then they will make sure, meaning production, will make sure you are stressed out. Uh, Something (laughs) will happen to stress you out. Mm -hmm. So Leslie and I had many times when we were just kind of, you know, skipping down the street, la, 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 enjoying ourselves and, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, stuff starts falling from the sky and our house is like halfway on fire, whatever, like things just happen. So um, it's absolutely a competition. It is crazy.
1: What Were there any really hilarious things that happened while you were on set? Did you, I don't know how much time you actually had to hang out you know, after hours? Oh. Were there even after hours at all? Or were you kind of working constantly?
2: Definitely not after hours. We worked from about... Se- we were on set at about seven and we left at about seven. And then we had an hour drive to our house. But um, we spent a lot of time pranking each other. Especially um, Dave. Dave and Leslie pranked <laughs> each other a lot. Uh, we um Houses, Leslie and I in particular, we, um, you know, dressed up, we put black, eye eye black on and then TP the houses when people weren't, you know, paying attention. Um, Dave, uh, you know, he did several things, um, including putting, you know, like fake bugs and cockroaches in our trailer, just to like, you know, see us go screaming down the street and, um. You know, just all kinds of things. And Leslie Wood, like, she made these most wanted, you know, uh, most wanted on the block posters and then made about 50 50 to 70 copies of them and came into set early one day and plastered the entire block with them. And it was (laughs) Dave and Jenny's face. Um, (laughs) So there was a lot of, like, joking around and pranking going on on set for sure.
1: (laughs) I love the energy, and you guys bring such humor. I'm my favorite. One of my favorite parts of the premiere was when you guys, who were super fans of, uh, you know, Jordan Knight, yes. got so mad at them calling your countertops basic, and you're like, yes. "Get out of my
2: house." Like, I I just
1: loved it. You're like, no more. I'm not into you anymore. Bye. I'm
2: like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Bye-bye now.
1: (laughs) Um, It was fantastic.
2: Anything else uh,
1: that stood out from the season in terms of just being a a huge challenge that you guys overcame that you feel like uh, fans should know about? I don't know Um, if you can talk
2: about that without spoiling. Yeah. Leslie and I definitely went in um, with... Little to no, like construction skills. We are. Leslie is a phenomenal business-minded individual. She runs all the numbers and and you know really drives the business as far as that goes on unsellables. I do most of the design. Um, we do some DIY work, but besides that, we're not you know in the construction field. Uh all three other teams pulled up with I'm talking tricked out trailers that they drove in with tools and all this great stuff. Les and I come you know walking in with like wow. a bag of makeup right like we're we're more like, okay, we're here to like film, and we all of a sudden are like, Oh my gosh, this is like a real thing, so we start you know we rented some tools and we rolled up our sleeves and we by the end, Leslie was like a master of the skill saw, and we just I, had to learn. I knew how to work a Dremel tool like nobody's business, and I mean, we were whipping stuff out. So that was pretty cool.
0: I love that, and and it's interesting that the other teams were allowed. Like you could like bring your own BYO tools, and like <laughs> you can oh, come yeah. with as many as you want. Like that seems. That's interesting. It's like, bring your, bring your best. <laughs> Did you oh, bring yes. your
1: own stat, like your own crew too? No, no, you couldn't
2: bring your own crew. No, you, you, you couldn't okay. use, you couldn't bring like handymen and stuff. No. Got it. No, okay. but we were definitely the underdogs when it came to understanding, you know, just. Skill set skill when it set. came to construction. Oh, and, yeah. And craftsmen. Yeah. Well
0: that that kind of moves perfectly into a question I have um just about like fixer-uppers in general and I know that a lot of the the houses that you see on unsellable houses um they need TLC and so you come in you make cosmetic updates um that are specific to like what buyers are looking for in that market and then you sell them and nine times out of 10 like I don't think I've seen an episode yet where you haven't made a profit of like the where the sale hasn't been a success um yeah. but what i'm wondering is do you think like in this post covid well not really post covid but just you know still kind of in the pandemic but and with the the housing market as crazy as it is um do you think buyers still want fixer uppers or are more buyers looking for turnkey homes um And do you think the age of the DIY fixer is over?
2: That's a great question. I think we definitely are seeing less and less people ask for that uh, fixer upper, um, you know, I want to do it all myself type property. I think they're more looking for, because of our interest rates being so low, because of um, how much they can qualify for, and especially in our area, how much homes are going for, they'd rather borrow that money and have the home ready to go then uh, have lower mortgages and put in the money themselves so they're getting enough equity out of the properties by just living in the homes interesting so we definitely want but we de- we definitely have buyers asking for turnkey homes and they're willing to pay the extra $50,000, 75,000 in a purchase price because it does not change their mortgage that much and they would rather mm-hmm. that than trying to do the work themselves. Well, and drain their savings uh-huh. of the fifty to 75000 that it would take to bring the home to the condition they want. They'd rather keep the money in their savings that they have saved up and borrow the money at the low interest. And especially with how much materials and availability is right now, if you can even find the materials or the people to help you do it. And that's just not even, that's, that's not always feasible in this market right now either.
0: That's the thing too. Yeah. Is like, yeah, waiting months and months for like lumber. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um,
0: Well, we cannot wait to continue watching this season. Um, yes. Again, it airs on Mondays at 9 p.m. And Leslie Lindsay, I know you can't tell us if you're the winners or not, but uh <laughs> We wish you good luck, and we'll see if you you. turn out on top.
2: Thank Thank you you. so much. We really appreciate the time. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you.
0: We're now joined by Claudine Zapp. She is a celebrity real estate writer for us at Realtor.com, and Claudine is kind of the guru that we go to when we want to hear um, about a very specific celebrity real estate based uh, topic. Hi, Claudine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Great to be here. Yes. We're glad to have you back. Um, You've joined us for segments about Montecito, California. Um, You were here to talk about Star Island before. Yes, that's right. In Miami. Good times. Um, Yes. Good times. (laughs) Listeners will remember. Uh, So we are stoked because we are currently living through a milestone. That's right. And this this milestone (laughs) is the 10th anniversary of Michael Jordan's house being up for sale.
3: Sort of the MVP decade of not selling his home, right? Yeah, it's probably, yeah, it's something that you
0: don't really want to be known for. Um, but alas, here we are. It's we are. been 1,529 days for this house <laughs> on the market. <laughs> I like that you did the math. Was
3: counting, really. <laughs> yeah, I got that. I mean, I got that
0: from our listing photo. I didn't, or our listing um realtor.com i didn't actually do the math Uh, (laughs) but yeah this house has he just hasn't found a buyer yet in 10 long years um this house of course you'll remember is in highland park illinois it's like a suburb outside of chicago um it's a pretty wealthy suburb uh right but claudine okay i mean we have several questions about this house right um number one why is this house so iconic
3: well, this is a house that was, you know, that Michael Jordan built for himself uh in 1995, which is the height of the amazing Chicago Bulls, the streak of winning uh title after title. So, when he built this house, he was on top of the world, on top of his game, and he built a baller home. I mean, mm-hmm. it is Uh, when you think of something that a superstar athlete would build, this should come to mind. It's 50,000 square feet of luxury. (laughs) It's got every, uh, conceivable amenity or maybe ones even you wouldn't think to have in your home. Um, it's got, you know, uh, a cigar room uh, a circular infinity sin- swimming pool with an island in the middle of it um it's got <laughs> 7 acres um and you know it even uh the the property is gated with the number 23 which was his number um his team number so this is michael jordan's house you know from stem to stern uh every square inch is his and by design, it's, it's custom, it's bespoke, it's, um, and I think that that's great if you're Michael Jordan, uh, but it might prove problematic if you're somebody not named Michael Jordan um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you want to try to imagine yourself in that house. You know, it might be difficult unless you're like a super rich super fan, you know, who wants a piece of memorabilia, but that's, that's pretty expensive.
0: That's a very like niche buyer, someone who's like, I'll just plunk down. And we should say, yeah, I'll plunk down just shy of $15 million um, right. for a piece of memorabilia.
3: Right. And it has, so as, as you said in the introduction, it's been on the market for 10 years. It started off um, uh, in 2012, it came on the market for $29 million um, and did not budge. It's since come down to half that. Um, and, but the price since 2015 has been at this about $15 million price tag and has not moved. Um, and um, I looked at the Realtor.com listings for Highland Park, and this is the most expensive listing for Highland Park by $10 million.
0: Whoa. Mm-hmm. So
3: the next most expensive listing is $4 million. <laughs> so this so is the really
0: <laughs> the most expensive house in the neighborhood, which you're notoriously not supposed to buy. Right.
3: Um, so that's that's gonna be, you know, there's there's some challenges
2: there.
1: Is it weird that I I am actually surprised though that nobody's picked it up? And while there's that huge delta between fifteen million and four million, yeah. like you said, there are super fans out there, and to me 15 million doesn't seem that steep if you're just super into Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I crazy?
0: No, you're not crazy. I read um I think we had another article about this house like 4 years ago on realtor.com because <laughs> we <have> this, <laughs> we've been covering, covering the saga yeah. for a while. <laughs> the span of <laughs> articles that we've written about this this mansion. Um but it said that they at one point they were even marketing this house um doing all the marketing materials in Mandarin to foreign investors (laughs) because there is a large swath of chinese fans of michael jordan so like they there have been numerous yeah numerous attempts to capture like those foreign like very wealthy foreign investors um or even yeah people who are domestic i mean 15 Mm -hmm. million in you know maybe a more star-studded area like beverly hills miami that could you know, that 15 million. Is it seems that. like nothing to yeah, me in, in those
1: areas, but I guess Chicago, you're, you're right. There is a, it's a much smaller pool, but I don't know if you're a huge super fan. It just seems like maybe it would be something that you'd, you'd want to bite on.
3: And, totally. and um, yeah, I mean, they're not shying away from the fact that it's his house. Um, So that's, that's a strategy that they've gone with. And um, in fact, I spoke with um, the compass listing cat uh, listing agent Catherine Malkin this morning just to kind of check in and see um you know if there is any update uh because the listing is still active. Um it doesn't look like it's found a buyer yet. And she did say that they in the last six months they have seen an uptick in interest. Mm-hmm. And um she she did say Uh, that they, they thought that they were, you know, that there were some buyer circling that, um, there's been sort of this, uh, first of all, there was a documentary called The Last Dance, Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of revived sort of maybe nostalgia for that era, um, for, um and so it kind of perked up interest in the house
0: it As, like reminded people like oh right. michael
3: jordan <laughs> his house is still available <laughs> his house is still here <laughs> um and it is of that era i mean it is something from the past i mean 1995 was 27 years ago that's how old this home is which i think might also be a drawback for some buyers who would be willing to spend 15 million dollars on a house right sure. um yeah uh But um, she said that uh, in conjunction with that, there was also COVID, which the pandemic kind of um, drew people in who maybe had stayed away from a self-contained property with so much land that became actually a selling point as opposed Mm -hmm. to a drawback. So there are people who you know like the idea that there's you know a putting green, a tennis court, the pool, all of these things that are right on the property. You don't have to go outside your property to be outside and um, a small city, if you will, a small city, yes. Um, and um, on top of that, um, she said that there are some crypto investors who um, are looking to. Uh, cash in. There so, would be. Yeah. <laughs> Are
1: they accepting crypto for it?
3: She said no. Um, to be clear, these people would be converting into cash. And then, Got it. Yeah.
1: Okay. And am I correct that there haven't been any real bites on this. Like it's never gone into pending or contingent status, right?
3: I, I believe that is correct. Okay. I also, um, I find it mark- notable that the price has not changed one penny for, you know, and I- Can
0: I, hmm. sorry, I don't want, I might be, I, I think I have a theory or I know I have a theory for that.
3: Go for it. Uh, do you know why? Well, well, um My, I mean, my thought is that, well, I know it it adds up to his number, right? The the amount. So there is, that's, that's cute, but, um, (laughs) and.
1: Cute only takes you so far in this business.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I mean, he is a billionaire. He, um, uh, he, he, Michael Jordan does not need to sell this house. Mm -hmm. He does, he can afford. The, the the property taxes, uh, the last year that they were uh, made public, were one hundred and thirty two thousand dollars on this place. He uh, obviously that is not a reason for him to sell. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that you know for him there may be a vanity in it that um, he's not going to let it go. Or he and and um, uh, he occasionally apparently he occasionally visits the house from time to time. So. Um, he may not really, really, truly, in his heart of hearts, want to sell it, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: unless
3: he gets the exact price that he wants. That you makes know,
0: sense. Fair, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's totally fair. I think he knows the value of the house. There's there's sentimental s- sentimentality attached to it too. So,
1: how similar would you compare this situation to Shaq's situation? Right. He, mm-hmm. you know, notably was trying to sell his Windermere, Florida home for the longest time. Um, And I know it it bounced on and off the market and, you know, it was pending and contingent, fell out contract. Finally, it got sold uh, just last year. Right. But, I mean, is this a similar situation where they both just put too much of their Shackness and Jordanness into the home and just couldn't find a buyer and maybe they weren't terribly motivated to sell?
3: Um, I think that um, the the situation with Shaquille O'Neal is a good playbook, if you will, for Michael Jordan. Um, the 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 successful listing agent who ended up actually making the deal. Um, completely, he, as he said, he's like, you need way me- way less shack in the house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like, well, good luck with that. I mean, there's like the little S's <laughs> all over the place.
1: The monster truck bed. Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> mean. <laughs> the Mack truck.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's everywhere. But he managed to do that as much as he could, you know, all the custom furniture and a lot of the stuff that was so emblematic of that house got taken out. They, they repainted it, a lot of the main spaces, some neutral colors restaged it. And then um, it still it did sell after that um, at long last, but it sold for $11 million, mm. which was uh, still much higher than what Shaq paid for it. But who knows how much money he put into customizing it. And it was way less than he obviously wanted. Mm -hmm. um however he did want to sell it and he sold it true so and you
1: said that um the listing agent for michael jordan's house didn't seem to indicate that they're going to take any of the uh, michael jordan iconic things out of it right
3: no and i think she said um that uh the place is like in perfect condition and it seems like Uh, I I, I may be wrong, but that is that era of like 80s and 90s architecture, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of like oversized, kind of clunky, it's just...
1: Concrete jungle. Yeah, Yeah. very much,
3: very much. Tall,
1: tall windows.
0: Like, yeah, Yeah. like
3: so oversized, like like to the point where it's not human scale anymore, you know, just maybe you don't notice that when you're 10 feet tall.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Michael Jordan is a very tall man so
3: (laughs) (laughs) yes so it's good for him
0: Claudine you've given us a really great rundown and it sounds like the seller might have hinted that something's coming down the pike so we'll keep an eye on this one for sure
3: yeah I mean you never know never count out Michael Jordan
0: yeah he he knows how to score when it really matters there you go
3: clutch player (laughs) no buzzer beater (laughs) it's all net now Hold
0: oh, here. my God. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> Claudine, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, and pleasure. we hope to have you back ASAP. Thanks, Sounds Claudine. That's great. Thank you. It's now time for Winners and Losers. This is the segment at the end of the episode where we discuss celebrities and the homes that they bought, sold, or rented. We choose one loser and one winner. And we're going to start with our loser. Losers, plural. Uh, Losers. What? (laughs)
1: You're very passionate about it.
0: I mean, as a Bravo fan, I have feelings. Um, But our losers this week are Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. Uh, Erica is one of the housewives of Beverly Hills. If you haven't caught the show, uh, well, actually, let me tell you why there are losers, and then I'll go into (laughs) the sad saga of Erica and Tom. So they are our real estate losers of the week because uh, they haven't sold their giant Pasadena mansion yet. Um, After nine months on the market and multiple price cuts, the Pasadena Palace owned by Erica Jane, cast member on The Real Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And her estranged husband Tom Girardi is on the market, um, and it's available for eight point two million. This home um, listed in May twenty twenty one for thirteen million, which is considerably over the price, um, the median price in Pasadena, mind you. So it was listed for thirteen million. It immediately dropped to 11.5 million. It was cut once again to 9.98 million in July, and there was a third price cut um, in August to 8.9 million, and now it's at 8.2 million. Uh, There are reasons why no one wants this house. Uh, I mean, Rachel, have you have you seen these photos? You can probably just by looking at the photos, you can probably tell one of the reasons why people don't want this house. Have you
1: have you seen the photos? <laughs> yeah. It's a very uh specific kind of style. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> you have to be I
0: guess a, if grandma. You're a big fan of
1: the crown oh. and the aesthetic of uh Buckingham Palace, then maybe this would be for you.
0: Or kind of like the board game clue. <laughs> <laughs> I call very
1: opulent over the top opulent I would call it yeah uh, lots of lots of wood lots of rich mahogany um, <laughs> very old world looking but like not authentic obviously rich it was built in when oh
0: this house was built shoot I don't have it's that information in the
1: 90s right something like that yeah I don't believe it was built in 19 oh well okay Color me wrong. It was built in nineteen twenty
0: eight. Oh wow. Okay, so it is authentic. Okay. At least I'm the wrong. at least the bones and then maybe who knows. I mean the yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if those like billowing curtains are from <laughs> <laughs> It's
1: just a lot. There's a lot going on in here.
0: Rich tapestries. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> Anyway, so that is one of the reasons um, why the home, why experts think the home hasn't sold, you know, the very unrelatable decor. It's it's not going to capture the eyes of a lot of people, only a handful of people. Um, other people say it's close to the Ventura freeway, which could mean that you hear freeway noise. Uh I guess it's not oriented totally right, the home, like um, (laughs) the backyard is only on one side of the house, which for some people that matters, I guess. (laughs) But I guess, you know what, if you are going to pay that much money for a house, you want a
1: full, a backyard that spans the full house. Right. But plus there's, there's scandal involved too. Would that have an effect on its uh, ability to sell?
0: Yes, people would argue that that does mar um, the home and it casts a bad shadow on it. Erica um, and Tom have been accused of fraud and embezzlement. The lawsuits allege that Tom embezzled settlement funds meant to help the families of victims of Lion Air Flight 610, uh, which crashed in 2018. He was defending um, a lot of the family members of the family. The victims who died and uh, instead of the families getting restitution uh, the suit argues that he embezzled those funds and a lot of those folks have not seen nearly enough or even like a dime of the money Um, so he's dealing with that and the way that Erica got pulled into that was um, they said that Erica and Tom were using their divorce Uh, to hide and divert assets. So it was kind of like um, he, there was, you know, it was alleged that he set up um, a bank account for her and was putting funds into that. Um, So it's it's messy with them. It's certainly, you know, they are like in the public eye. And if you're the type of buyer that cares about that thing, you can be like, ooh, I don't want to touch that. No thanks, I can find another like, very pricey
1: old world over the top opulent. <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: there's there's a handful of them in los angeles um yeah. so yeah it's it's not a very happy real estate story they are our real estate losers of the week uh but we'll keep an eye on this place and see if it does in fact sell and for how much it sells yep let's move on to our winner
1: rachel tell us about our winner Our winner this week is funny man, Jerry Seinfeld. Did that come out sarcastic? No, that was completely earnest. (laughs) Funny man. Uh, Seinfeld is our winner for selling his 26-acre Telluride estate for more than he purchased it for he bought it back in 2007 for 7.55 million dollars and he sold it just recently about a month ago for double that for 14 million Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. a pretty pretty good return on investment
0: it is um they i believe they did put money into this place so you know we of course we we never know what the renovation budget is um But I doubt it was, you know, double the price of what he paid for it or or it was the same price as what he paid for it. So, um, yeah, this place is just classic, you know, mountain cabin, not cabin, mountain
1: (laughs) estate. It's a cabin. It's just a really big cabin. (laughs) Yes. With all the stone fireplace and yeah. 11 bedrooms, 11 and a half baths, 14,000 square feet. Again, we already said it's on a 26, 27 acre lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you ever take Jerry Seinfeld for a Telluride man?
0: No, I don't know what draws him to Telluride. Right? I mean, I guess maybe it's one of those places that, I mean, it is like a celebrity haven for sure. Yeah. Um, there there's a film festival there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought he's more of like an East Coast kind of guy. So. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sure he, everybody likes to have some place to get away. I just, I don't know, nothing, nothing about Jerry Seinfeld says rancher. I like me. to
0: ski. Yeah, yeah, no mountain man, mountain man. No, he seems like a city city cat for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he sticks to the big city, not a country mouse. <laughs> um, it's huge, though. Like he could easily do a stand up show inside this house right it's just really sprawling
0: it would have been a nice place to hang out during covid yeah maybe like, he did
1: to escape the city comedians and cabins getting coffee very nice Thanks. i like what you did there I appreciate uh yeah so
0: for um a nice little return on his giant telluride estate jerry seinfeld is our winner of the week And that is it for House Party. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button so you can get episodes delivered to your device. If you could also take a moment and give us a five-star rating and write us a review, we would really appreciate it. We love hearing your feedback, and we also love when you give us compliments.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We do love that. So if you want to send us compliments, you can do it in... The reviews, as Natalie said, or you can email us. We're podcast at realtor.com. That's podcast at realtor.com. Or you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And our handle is at House Party Pod on all three. Yep. Thanks again to our guests, Lindsay
0: and Leslie. We had so much fun talking to you. And to Claudine. And to Claudine. Yes. Dear Claudine, our, our celebrity gurus uh all right thank you again for hitting play and we'll talk to
1: you later bye adios